strong medicine, this idea, right? A relatively simple solution to a problem that some will find hard to do. It can also be managing risk, right? So you would amputate a limb to save a life, right? You would amputate a limb to save a life. You would close a branch location or maybe even a whole division to save a company. You would fire a friend, a dear friend, a lifelong friend because he's not doing his job. You would retire because you need to get out of the way. No, I'm kidding. If you're late, right? Someone's like, I'm always like, get up earlier. I don't want to get up earlier. Okay, well, no, I, you know, it's, if it's cold outside, zip up your coat. I love watching people walk in, coats unzipped. They're like, oh, it's cold outside. Zip up your coat. Wear boots. I like the shoes that I'm wearing. Yeah, but if you're cold, wear boots, right? A hat, gloves, anything. It's Minnesota. I don't want to. Then don't complain about being cold. Have you ever felt like this, right? Consume less calories than you burn. Eat healthy. For most, eat less. Strong medicine. Exercise more. Eat based on what is on the perimeter of the grocery store. Plan your meals. Yeah, I don't want to plan my meals. Low on cash? I love this one. I love this one, right? Low on cash? I don't have enough money. Spend less. <laughs> A friend of mine once said, world-famous banker, Dave Hardy, he's like, it's not mystical, it's math. Spend less than you make, you'll have enough cash. Dave, forgive me, because I didn't ask permission to use your name. Be nice to the person who is hard to like. Man, that can be some strong medicine, right? You bump into someone who's just absolutely curmudgeonly grumpy, just like be the adult in the relationship. Be nice. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your opinions to yourself. All of these strong medicine. Wear sunscreen. Just want to throw that one in here, even though summer's a long ways away. I'd offer other medical advice, but we're running out of time. Page 1007, still haven't seen the latest James Bond movie, starting in verse 26. Therefore, brothers, strike that, verse 26, not 19. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The text is admittedly strong medicine. And so what are we playing with here, right? It starts off with, for if we go on sinning deliberately. Now, if this doesn't cause you pause, then maybe I'm the only person in the room that causes pause. Because I would describe myself as a person who has said yes to Jesus Christ. I would describe myself as a person who said, Jesus, I want you as my Savior. I want you as my Lord. I want to follow you with my life. I would be a person that I would describe as having asked for forgiveness of my sins. And yet, on a very periodic basis, 
I do things that are wrong. I sin. And sometimes I know that I'm sinning when I'm doing it. Sometimes I sin, and then afterwards I'm like, ooh, that was a bad mistake. But sometimes I'm like, no, I know I'm doing wrong when I'm doing it. And here the text says, if we go on sinning deliberately. And so I'm like, okay, if I go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, which is a fancy way of saying I'm in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. So what's going on here? Because there's no one who is without sin, yet the text is pretty strong. Now, now first and foremost, the Bible has a very dim view of sin. It's not something that the Bible encourages that we court or we entertain with or that we dine with or that we engage with. Okay? So, so let's not lose in any of our discussion the dim view that the God of the universe and how he reveals himself to us in his word, how the God of the universe looks at sin. If we go on sinning deliberately, F.F. Bruce points to Numbers 15.10, which is an intriguing thing. It says, The person who does anything with a high hand, who reviles the Lord, and I think the sinning deliberately isn't so much the, I sin and I know that I'm sinning. It, it's more the mentality of, it really doesn't matter what I do. It's kind of like driving it like I ain't got a dime in it. Driving it like you rented it. You ever just beat on a rental car? Why? Drive it like you stole it. I mean, all of these phrases, right? You know, just Drive it like a rented mule, you know? And you're just like, what? It's like it doesn't matter. It's like looking at life and looking at our choices that we make in our life. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I sin. <laughs> to put it another way, if you're worried about the effect that sin has in your life, you're probably in a good spot with respect to these verses. If you're not worried about the effects of sin in our life, like, it's no big deal. Then I think we're in dangerous ground. The challenge is when we've done wrong and we don't feel bad that trouble occurs. It's, it's when we get away with something that is really wrong. And, and we see this in many places, right? And, and invariably, okay, it starts off small, but, but we see it, okay? Often it's alpha males, okay? Often it's individuals who are enormously successful, okay, have, have risen to the top of their field, are, are authors, are individuals who, who are just like the cat's pajamas, visible, successful, very beautiful, they're very beautiful people. And then a final incident happens, right? And it wipes everything out. I mean, an accusation, a credible accusation of sexual impropriety, uh, 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 embezzlement, a uh, mischaracterization that really was a flat-out lie and misled. And okay, and then in the telling of the story, there is always this history 
of really bad behavior that started off really, really, really small. Really small. That the guy who cheats on his wife didn't wake up that morning saying, oh, I think I'm going to cheat on my wife today. That invariably there was these little tiny things all along the way. These little, these little bit of smudges, these little bit of just like, oh, it's just, just getting away with something. A casual glance that turned into something more uh, inappropriate conversation. A, and all of a sudden, this really big thing derails. The text is speaking to the times when we've done wrong and we rationalize the behavior. It was a hard day. It was a hard week. People don't know what I'm going through. I have a right to blow off a little steam. Or worse, when the Holy Spirit presses in on us and we know that uncomfortable feeling, even if we don't know to identify it as the Holy Spirit, that, that uncomfortable tension that exists, and we respond with, well, I've done nothing wrong. I have no regrets for my behavior. Or that uncomfortable sense that someone is telling you the truth about behavior that exists in your life. And yet we reach to defend ourselves. That's who the text is talking to. The text is talking to when we reflect on the day and, and don't take seriously the pauses that occur. The text is speaking to when we don't reflect on the day and we don't take time to pause. We don't take time to listen. God, are the activities in my life enhancing your reputation? Now, it would be easy to say that this strong medicine only applies to people who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That, that would be an easy exit ramp. Well, this is just for the unredeemed. But it's not. It's not. Hebrews is written to the church. It's written to us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. The warning is real. The challenge is there. The text doesn't allow us to conceive the notion that, that these are a group of people who have no idea what they're doing. No. These warnings are addressed to people, first and foremost, who would say they are followers of Jesus Christ. Verses 28, 29, continuing the theme, anyone who has set aside, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, we're going Old Testament on the bit, right? And basically the idea is you want to take the law and put it over here, there's danger. And you know that, right? And then by comparison, the author of Hebrews is saying, if that is bad, this is worse wanting to take the grace of Jesus Christ, forgiveness because of his blood, and say, no thanks. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's the old way of doing business. Here's the new way. 
How much worse do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled the, the imagery of trampling underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? A lot of fancy words, a lot of fancy shorthand for basically the person who's like, eh, rules, they're more like guidelines. Guidelines, they're more like suggestions. I mean, it's convenient, sure. And if we think in terms of the words of God as guidelines, suggestions, hints, even allegations, versus thinking of the words of God as the word of God, asking what does it mean, how does it apply to my life, if we take the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that it entails and simply toss it down like sand on the beach and walk over it and not even think about it, then the text describes that behavior is absolutely outrageous. And it's not a place where we want to be. And so the text wants us to be careful. The, care, the text draws our attention that if we in any way, shape, or form, even on the most tiny of things, say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Who's watching besides the entire internet? <laughs> Read this article this last week about this software created by um, um, over in Israel, right? And, and it's called Pegasus or something like this. And basically, basically, you input a phone number, and the software can turn your phone into a listening device and, and access everything. I mean, I'm kidding you not. Like the born identity movies, you know, where they're doing all that crazy stuff, that is real. That is actually real. At any rate, all that is to say, a laissez-faire attitude towards sin is probably not the best move. Verse 27 says, we should have this fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. I mean, if we had a fearful expectation of judgment, if we really had that, wouldn't we think more about our behavior? And I get it. These are some of the favorite verses that people like to use when they offer excuses for why they don't like God. And I'd be the first to say, taken on their own, they are strong medicine. But just, just listen. Verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. You can't take them and separate them. you got to put them together. It's not an arbitrary and capricious vengeance. It's vengeance and judgment. And think about it. I mean, really think about this one. Even though we object to this, don't we want to serve a God who gets it right? I mean, doesn't anyone who has ever really truthfully lived want the right result? Okay, maybe the criminally motivated, not so much. But, but aside from that pathological reality, 
Deep inside, I want to know that it will be right in the end. It, it, it's a, you've been tried and convicted by a jury of your peers, and here is your sentence kind of vengeance. It's not an arbitrary and capricious vengeance. Few people would disagree with a person who is guilty, who is beyond guilty, receiving the sentence that they deserve. We talked about it last week. Some people's favorite response is, don't judge me. When I read a text like this, and all that it means, I want to be like, no, judge me. (laughs) Please judge me. Please, in a gracious way, challenge my life when you see stuff that is wonky. A a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's kind of like saying, I wouldn't want to meet that guy in a dark alleyway. Unless, of course, that guy is on your side. If that guy's leading you, then you want to follow that guy through a dark alleyway. And it all comes down to this, right? Do we ultimately trust God to get it right? At the end of all things, do we trust God to get it right? And the answer to that question probably informs everything else that we will do with the rest of our lives. For me, it's a yes. It's a yes. I I trust God to get it right, and I want to follow him. But there is still this outstanding challenge of the text. How do I respond to the sin that exists in my life? Because if you're like me, you've wrestled with this notion. You wrestled with the notion of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, of doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. You wrestled with the notion of walking down a pathway, knowing you're walking down the wrong pathway, and you're about to do the wrong thing, and you know you're going to do the wrong thing. I know I'm going to do the wrong thing. I know that it's wrong, and I still do it. And how do I not fall into the trap of shaking my hand or my fist or going, I won't do the gesture because Tanya doesn't like it, to God. Right? A number of years ago, I was introduced to this character, uh, Brother Lawrence. He lived in the 1600s. Um, This is all of the writings that we have of him. Um, He was a Frenchman, which for some would mean that you're not going to listen to him. But really, he's worth listening to, right? He's an individual who was a complete klutz. I know I've talked about him before, but it's just so relevant to today's text, okay? He, um, he, was, a, he was a bit of a klutz, okay? A, a clumsy oaf who would often break things and, and, um, and, and just really, um, well, here's what he said. Well, here's what someone said about him. He had sought entry into a monastery thinking that he would be made to smart, pay for his acts of clumsiness and mistakes, and in this way, offer up his life and happiness, Okay, so he wanted to punish himself by going to work for God. But that God had disappointed him because he found there nothing but contentment that often made him say to God, you have deceived me. So he goes to follow God in the hopes that he'll be punished for being a clumsy oaf and be making a mess of his life. And what he discovers is God in a very real and powerful way. Listen to this. 
when he had fallen short, he would say, he would do nothing else but confess his shortcoming. So when he had sinned, he would do nothing else but confess his sins and say to God, I should never do anything else if you left it to me to do it. It is yours to prevent me from falling and to set right that which is not well. And after that, he concerned himself no more over his fault. We ought to act very simply with God, speaking familiarly with him, asking him for help in situations as they arise, and that God would not fail to give it as often as he had experienced. What a delightful way to deal with sin. Confess it and cut it loose. Oh, we like to wallow in our sins. Oh, even when they're forgiven, we say things like we're sinners saved by grace. Oh, we just, we, we almost talk more about our sin than we talk about our Savior. Oh, my sin. Ah, ah. What if we just did this, right? Confess the sin and cut it loose. It was just the same in the kitchen, to which he had a strong natural aversion, but he trained himself to do everything there for the love of God. And I'm praying at every juncture for his grace to do his work. He found it very easily during the 15 years he was thus employed. At the moment, he was in the cobbler's shop and was most happy there, but was ready to leave this employment like the rest. Check this out. This is the key. Always making himself do small things for the love of God. And finally, his attitudes towards prayer. It was, he said, enormously self-deception to believe that the time of prayer must be different from any other. We are equally bound to be one with God by what we do in times of action as by the time of prayer at a special hour. His prayer was simply the presence of God, his soul unconscious of all else but love, God's love. And I think there's power in the simplicity I want to read Hebrews chapter 10 and not discard the words. I want to take them seriously as if my life depended on it. But I want this simplistic, simple understanding, not simplistic, this simple understanding that when my heart is in the right spot, I sin and I ask for, con- I ask for forgiveness for that sin. And that when I feel bad for doing something bad, I am grateful that I am feeling bad for doing something bad because that means God is at work in my life. And I take seriously. And it goes off like a warning flashing light in my eyes. When I do something wrong and I feel no pain, or I reject the correction. It's strong medicine. I I get it. But, 
but it concerns our lives. It concerns our eternities. So why would we not take it seriously? And trust, trust our lives to a God who gets it right. Please pray with me. In the quietness of the moment, maybe the thing that we need to do is confess. Confess the intentional, confess the unintentional, but confess the sin that exists in our lives. Or maybe in the quietness of the moment, we need to cut the sin loose. Having confessed it, we now focus on the Savior. We are not defined by what exists in the past. We are defined by our relationship with Jesus Christ. May we be a people who prays to a holy God. Asking the God of the universe to reveal everything that doesn't belong and to move us forward on a pathway in which our lives reflect the heart that we have for a God who saved us.